This is a Socialist News and Views special interview. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this special interview. In a previous special, we spoke with Gerardo Carmarca about police brutality and corruption in Colombia and the movements there to take back the country. During that interview, Carmarca invited others to come from the U.S., especially from the labor movement, to visit Colombia. Today on our interview, we talked to somebody who went to Colombia recently and was able to be present for the August 7th inauguration of new left president of Colombia, Gustavo Petro. Here's the interview. So on Socialist News and Views, we let folks introduce themselves. Tell us who you are. Uh, hey, I'm Yolanda Roth. I am an activist um, and in economic justice. Um, I work for Take Action Minnesota as a strategic partnerships director and uh i am a labor activist as well unions all the way well glad to have you um we had gerardo caramarca on our show before speaking about corruption and police brutality in colombia and during that show he and subsequently he was asking activists he encouraged me and others especially labor folks to travel to colombia and see the country president gustavo petro recently took office in colombia and you were able to travel uh, to the country. Can you can you tell us about that experience? Oh my gosh, um, where to even begin? Uh, it's it it was absolutely incredible. Um, such a beautiful country for one thing, um, just to start. But to be traveling there specifically for the um, inauguration of. Uh, Francia Marquez and and uh, President Petro, I mean, is amazing. Um, the the very first thing we did um, on Saturday morning when we woke up was was go to um, a gathering of formerly exiled activists. Wow! Um, it was. Uh, it was an incredible experience and so emotional uh, to be in the room when individuals who had been exiled and living abroad for 10, 15, 20 years um, got to see each other in person for the first time. Right. Um, it was just, it was incredible. It was incredible. Just all the, the tears and you know the love the, the support the reminiscing it's um, been a long fight know, right right um and them you know finally feeling safe enough to come back to their country the country that they fought so hard you know to to uh, keep free and, and to liberate um you know from just terrible presidents and you know terrible politics um right they you know coming into the room it was at a they met at a little cafe um which was also had a theater in the back the theater had a, a long history 
of doing uh, political plays. Um, and it was, uh, it was built actually by the, um, the new cabinet member, the, um, she, would she be the minister of arts and culture? Wow. Um, so yeah, when she was an activist, she, uh, she was, you know, putting plays on in this place and, you know, they were having meetings, um, resistance meetings and so on there. Um, it was That's amazing. It, yeah, it was just amazing. The historic, uh, beautiful, uh, beautiful place to meet. Tiny little doors, though. Yeah. Um, the Colombian people, not super tall. True. <laughs> so, it was, um, anyway, the um, so activists were coming in, um, and I want to say that there were four of us um, from Minnesota. It would have been uh, Monica Hurtado. Um, and her husband, Keith Ellison, um, myself, and, and my partner, um, Ed Eifler Haramil. Uh, so the four of us were there. Um, they asked, after the initial hugs and crying and um, some entertainment um, by some local musicians, uh, activist musicians, beautiful music, they, we were all asked to introduce ourselves and talk about why we you know, came Right. Uh, to Colombia, and um, just listening to the stories and the body of work that these incredible activists had behind them um, and now in front of them. Um, right. So moving. Um, several of them had been asked to be part of President Petro's cabinet. Um, so, like I said, the Minister of Arts and Culture was there. Um, the representative for um, Colombians in the exterior was there. Um, just uh, there were um, also a representative from the German Parliament was there. Uh, just uh, it was a an inc- uh, uh, incredible room full of people. Um, and then finding out where these activists had scattered to. I mean, some had gone to Sweden, some had gone mm. to Germany, some had gone to Spain. Many had gone to the United States, different areas. Um, and additionally, once they found out that we were from uh, Minnesota, um, they they wanted to talk about um, they wanted to talk about George Floyd. Mm, right, I um, bet. Yeah, that was a, a real surprise to me, um, oh. and not knowing a tremendous amount about the history of Colombia, I was very surprised that they were so interested in talking about the uprising and the, um, and, you know, and George Floyd and the fight for, um, black liberation and so on. It had a huge global impact. I mean, every, everywhere really, yeah. but I'm sure, especially in Colombia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's totally, that's absolutely true. Uh, uh, my coworker just returned from Senegal, um, and showed us picture after picture of all of the, uh, monuments to George Floyd. Wow. It's incredible. And you were, so this was at the cafe and then were you able to attend some of the uh, like official, uh, uh, ceremonies and things or what, what was the rest of that? What was the rest of that trip like then? Yeah, it was, um, a lot, it was a lot of activities, um, after the, uh, after the meeting at the cafe, um, the representative for the exterior, whom I had maybe said two words to, um, 
<laughs> but she, when I introduced myself, um, I introduced myself as like a, an economic justice activist and she was very interested in that and asked me to ride with her. Oh, wow. Um, so I was really, I was really surprised. And also I confessed that I did not know who she was. Mm. Um, I just thought she was a really nice activist and, you know, that had come back from, I think she came back from Sweden. Okay. Um, and wanted, you know, was kind enough to allow me to ride with her as we traveled about, which was great because everyone else was walking and I was foolishly wearing heels because I did not know the day's agenda. Um, right. <laughs> so I jumped into the car with her and there were two other lovely individuals with her and I thought they were very serious people, but I thought, well, maybe they're just, you know, activists or not super friendly folk, but, <laughs> sure. you know, they just, they just, you know are serious about their business and what they do. Um, we travel, we went to, uh, the so first like security we or something or the other. Yeah. It turned out that they were her security. Okay, sure. Yeah. Sure. I, I did not know that. <laughs> not to like nearly done with the day. So yeah. 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 And they also did not speak English. Um, and I do not speak Spanish. Uh, well, like very, very little right. Spanish. So anyway, um, we were traveling, uh, the first place we went was to the, um, uh, indigenous uh, celebration um, for the First Nations. Wow. Uh, so that apparently that is um, an annual event. Um, it was incredibly impressive. There is a, a very large number of indigenous uh, people um, and they were representing their different uh, tribes. Um, and there is a, a plentiful number of tribes as well. Um, and I, so just walking in and seeing them all, you know, represented with flags and, you know, banners and um, the different outfits that they were wearing uh, and uniforms in some cases, uh, it was really beautiful. Um, and also um, pre uh, not yet inaugurated uh, President Petro and, and, and Vice President Francia Marquez were also, also came. Oh. Um, and apparently this is not, uh, this was a, a very unusual thing. Um, so bet. yeah, the crowd was huge. Um, the security was very, very tight. Um, the first nations actually do their own security. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I've never seen anything quite like, um, the security that they do. Uh, it was very impressive. Um, I was lucky enough to get really close to, um, where the president was going to be going up on stage and to like shake hands wow. um and um also get very close to francia marquez but i wouldn't actually meet her until later um and uh there is a actually a little bit of a standoff between um their the president and vice president's um security uh, and the first nation security mm. um which was very interesting to watch and um, when they worked it all out, after it got very tense, um, they uh, they were able to get the president on stage and so that he could make his speech and then get Francia also on stage so she could make hers. Um, it was, yeah, it was a, a really incredible experience to be that close um, and to really get a good look at um, what kind of security they, they have in the country. And... Um, you know, how much the President Petro and Vice President Marquez were just obviously really beloved by the First Nations. Mm. Um, after that, we went to a 
um, women's uh, uh, a, a women's gathering, and it was um, the representative that I was with. She um, gave speeches at each of these events as well. Um, again, I don't speak Spanish, so I, like, I, and they people were swarming her, and I just assumed that she was a very popular activist. For sure. And I, because I couldn't understand what she was saying. So, but anyway, it was amazing. Uh, it was beautiful. The the women's um, gathering uh, was well attended. Had um, drummers. Had like a female drumming corps, which was beautiful. Um, they had made paper mache giant heads of the president and and vice president um that they were that uh, two individuals were wearing these giant heads um there were a lot of activists but the most prominent activists that were there had pictures of babies and young children um on large signs and when i asked someone to translate they explained to me that colombia has um a, a problem with children being kidnapped and sold. Mm. Um, additionally, there is a, a whole generation of children, like around 500,000 children that were um, orphaned because of the, the wars, like wow. the many uh, civil wars going on. Um, and in the 80s, that that was, uh, that was also a big problem and that they were still looking for many of those children, now adults, um, that had been either um, sold, um, illegally adopted um, out of the country, um, or they were just missing, just plain missing. Like no one could account for them um, and that that was still an issue. So they Very were holding up very much so holding up the science to like make you know get this this issue um talked about um and then they met with uh the representative that i was with afterward excuse me um so that was yeah it was very moving when we were in the car she told me more about the more about what you know what the science represented um and it was yeah it was just it was heartbreaking. There's um, a lot to take in. There's a lot going on. And, you know, like you said, you, you're not always aware of everything that's happening. So you're trying to get as much information as you can. And right. be as uh, aware of, of, of what's going on. And and there's a whole history there that you're learning about at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so the next stop was a, um, at like a, what would you call it? A cultural center. Okay. Um, and uh, it was like political education and also um, some of the, the, there were some uh, musicians there, some additional amazing art um, and uh, some of the, the new uh, members of cabinet uh, and people that were just under the cabinet members um, were, were giving speeches and it was a lot of political education of it um, and an opportunity uh, to meet up with the rest of the um, unofficial American delegation uh, that, you know, all had gotten in by that time and we were able to all see each other. And, and um, it was really a really lovely experience. By that time, 
I was pretty exhausted, I'm going to be honest. Right. <laughs> it's been a long day of events, and I was really, uh, so I left there a bit early to go and, and get some sleep. Right. Um, and also, like, a foot massage, because, wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was, yeah, it was incredible. And then the following, the next day, Sunday, was the inauguration. Um, so we got up uh, pretty early to go and um, meet at the museum. There is a, a really just a beautiful museum that has um, it has um, like artifacts from uh, political um, individuals that were assassinated for running for office. Wow. Um, the and a lot of additionally a lot of um, individuals that were kidnapped um, by guerrilla groups um, and then uh, artifacts from guerrilla um, guerrilla group members that were subsequently killed um, for you know it, during their activities um, right. so it was diaries um, it was uh, pictures um, letters. Uh, written sometimes from uh, jail, um, letters written from individuals who'd been kidnapped, who were asking for help and, you know, explaining what uh, the, the, per the persons who kidnapped them wanted. Uh, sometimes they were written to the then whomever was president at the time. Um, sometimes they were written to family. Um, there, there was uh, artifacts of clothing, like what someone was wearing when they were uh, shot. Um, there were, uh, it, it was, it, it was just, it was incredibly sad um, and poignant, and um, yeah, it was, it, it was very moving. Um, then uh, to. Apparently, uh, per capita, they have the most um, political uh, assassinations, political murders of any country. Hmm. Um, and it was it was shocking, but the evidence was right there in a museum full of artifacts. Right. So it was, um, yeah, it was a lot. Um, from everyone met and gathered there. Um, of the uh, unofficial American delegation. And then uh, we were loaded onto buses and we were, um, we were taken to the inauguration. Um, there was, uh, um, there were a lot of security checkpoints, mm. right? Um, so there was one specifically for individuals that were supposed to go to like the VIP section. So that's where we went. Okay. Um, uh, we were, when we got in and got through the, the additional security checkpoints that we had to walk through um, and we got to um, the sections we were supposed to be in, um, it was, we were, it was very clear that we were um, surrounded by um, um, delegates from a, a, a plethora of countries, mm. um, many languages being spoken um, very, you know, if you could bridge the, the language gap, it was it met a couple of really nice people um, representing their countries. Um, uh, we, uh, during the proceedings, um, there was a lot of speeches made. Um, what would be, I'm gonna get this wrong and I apologize. It would be like 
the president of what their Congress, um, he gave like a 45 minute speech. Mm. Um, and, uh, then, um, Oh yeah, I guess that would be wrong. Then actually there were only two speeches given. There was that, that gentleman. And then the president gave a speech, which is also 45 minutes an hour long. Um, but there was a lot of, um, introductions and activity. So like the military, um, was well represented on the stage. And then, um, the presidents, vice presidents, um, parliamentarians from different countries that had been invited, um, they were announced and they came onto the stage. Um, they were, uh, there was a two, uh, presidents with their families that came that got booed when they went up on stage, which I was, uh, little surprised about, um, not knowing a lot of the South American politics. Um, there was an African president as well. Um, he did not get booed. Mm. Um, it, so it just like really taking all of that in, um, then on a large screen, you could see that the president was, um, the well, first the vice president came onto the stage and there was this chanting that came from behind us. Um, so outside of the, the section that was quartered off that we were in, um, and the, the delegates that were sitting around us were not chanter type of people. They were, you know, sure. you could tell that they were, they were in suits and they were very official people, but from behind us, we heard this wave of chants of people chanting Francia, Francia. Um, and it was so loud and it, it came in such strong waves that all of us in the VIP section, which was thousands of people, frankly, we all stood up and turned around to wow. see where that, where all of that was coming from, all that energy. Um, and there was, this was the first time that I had really looked behind me. Um, and there was just a sea of people chanting Francia. Um, just, it was so clear how excited they were to have uh, to have her as their vice president. Um, it was absolutely overwhelming energy. Like I was crying and I didn't even really know why. Powerful. Um, yeah. <laughs> people power. Absolutely. It makes us cry absolutely. us to care about people, uh, being able to control their own lives. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so then when you looked up on the big screen, uh, Francia came onto the stage and sat down, um, with, I want to say, her son. Um, and then uh, we were able to see uh, President Petro and his wife, followed by their children, followed by um, maybe six or seven generals. Um, and they were like proceeding and it was um, watching. So we got to see them walking towards the stage. Um, it was kind of a long walk for them uh, from wherever they were coming from, not familiar with the landscape really. Sure. Um, then they got up on um, on stage. Uh, the um, the like president person of their Congress gave his speech and then uh, President Petro gave his speech. Um, and then he asked for a, a 10 minute break it was a little, I mean, it was a welcome break. Don't get me wrong. Those were not comfortable chairs, but um, it was a little bit surprising. People were kind of like talking, like 
amongst themselves about why, you know, him taking the break. So I wanted to know um, what kind of what was going on. It seemed like there was some political jostling happening. Right. Um, so I uh, asked my partner and he told me um, what people were saying. Apparently, um, there is a sword. Um, and I, this is uh, foolish and unfortunate, but the significance of this sword uh, was tremendous. Like people were very animated mm. about the possibility of this sword being brought to the stage. Mm. And it turned out, um, I trying to remember whose sword it was. Um, one of the guerrilla groups had, uh, had, had taken the sword, had stolen it mm. um, and kept it for years. Um, and then uh the, it had been returned to the government when many of those um, guerrilla warriors were exiled. Mm. Um, and no one knew where this particular sword was, where it was located. Um, but people had always wanted to know, like this sword clearly meant a lot culturally, clearly meant a lot um, to the movement, clearly meant a lot during these uh, the many civil wars that they had been having. Um, and... Uh, it turns out that the um, current president, Dukey, he um, had the sword mm. um, in his residence. Wow. And when, um, when Pre- uh, President Petro had met with him um, several weeks prior to the inauguration after winning um, the election, he uh, President Duque said, oh, I know you've been wondering where this sword is. This is, you know, it's actually here. Like, I have it. And President Petro immediately was like, I, I would like to have this sword at my inauguration. Like, this would mean so much to the movement and mm. to the people to see this sword. Um, and he allegedly agreed to um, allow the, the sword to, to be there. Um, when President Petro was giving his speech, the sword was not on stage. Um, and there was a lot of speculation as to um, whether or not it would it would come and whether or not the military would go and get it mm. um, if he asked them to. Um, because uh, on the day of the inauguration, um, President Duque had sent word that he was no longer willing to uh, relinquish the sword. So um, it was really um, the people themselves. We um, spent a fair amount of time talking to like Uber drivers, a lot of Uber drivers and uh, people in general about how they felt um, about President Petro coming into power and um, if they what they thought about, you know, his safety and safety in the country um, for activists and uh you know, if they thought there was real change and if they thought that the military would be loyal to President Petro or if they would remain loyal to the previous party. Um, so that was, and that was a really big concern. Um, what did you hear? Amongst, they, people were really concerned. They did not, they were hopeful, right? Um, really hopeful that this would mean peace, that this would mean the end of endless, endless civil wars. Right. Um, and actions, um, but they they were uncertain, and they they weren't sure that 
that president, whether or not President Pedro would be able to to bring to fruition the piece that he'd been talking about and campaigned on. Um, and people definitely were not um, confident that the military would would follow the Constitution and follow the president, um, the new president. So, and it appears that President Petro was also not certain <laughs> that that would right. happen, um, and that this was something of a of a litmus test to, during this 10-minute break, ask the military to go to President Duque's residence, the president's residence, and remove this sword and bring it to the stage. Um, so that he, he waited, he, you know, called a halt and a pause to the proceedings and asked for this to happen. Um, so it took about 20 minutes, but on the screen, we saw the, the same pathway that um, the president had walked. Um, we saw the military coming with this sword wow. after about 20 minutes and the roar that came from the crowd behind us, I, it was deafening. Mm. I, I've never heard anything like the reactions to this sword being brought to the stage. I believe and then <laughs> they, after they like, okay, now I'm starting to cry again. After they brought the um, sword to the stage, the president President Petro, he's, he said that this sword now belongs to Vice President Francia Marquez. And the noise that was mm. already deafening got even louder. Yeah. It was just incredible. Um, the, uh, when the vice president was sworn in, um, this was the only time that you heard her speak during the proceedings. Mm. Um, so she put her hand on something akin to the Bible, I'm assuming. Um, and when they, you know, they said the normal things like you have to repeat after them that you so swear, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and she said, she so swears um, on her ancestors Mm. And that was like I I don't speak a lot of Spanish, but I understood that. Right. Um, and that was again another time when there was a real eruption from the individual, from like the crowd behind us, where people just were obviously very moved by just the four or five words that she actually said. Right. Were probably the most powerful words said during that. Like the, nothing else got that reaction not from either of the speeches. Um, yeah, it was a really extraordinary moment. Sounds tremendous, overwhelming, and yeah, like you said, yeah. extraordinary, emotional. <laughs> very much so. Very much so. Um, after the inauguration was complete and all the proceedings were complete, um, there was a. Um, there was a there was rumors that there were some parties happening, um, that you know, pretty you know, pretty prestigious individuals were having parties, and um, some people were getting tickets to go to these different parties. And um, I can't say for sure how this came about, but we um, 
we ended up with tickets to uh, a party at the vice president's residence. Mm. Um, and we were being asked to walk there um, after the inauguration. Uh, so um, we got uh, we, some of the tickets, we got a few extra tickets and we had some of the people from our delegation were um, around us. We were taking pictures and so on. So we gave tickets to them um, and then we were asked to follow um, some of the employees from um, Vice President Marquez's um, from her campaign. Mm. Um, they, we followed them through, I lost count of how many checkpoints we walked through. Wow. Um, and then we got to this really um, kind of unassuming residence from the outside, from the street. Um, and then we walked through the doors and there's this, you know, tremendous hallway. Um, a lot of the spaces were uncovered and like open to the elements. It was a beautiful day. So a beautiful evening by this point. Wow. Um, there was water fountains everywhere. Um, there was an official office area. It looked like maybe government business was done there. Um, we walked through that area and we get to the residence, which is like this beautiful um, dining your dining room and living room area with like an open um, an open air uh, in between the two um, area and there was uh, a multitude of people many first nations uh, persons were there uh, representing their delegations we um, we ran into uh, also, um, Jesse Jackson's grandson and son were there. Wow. Um, Jesse Jackson was unable to make it, too, unfortunately, for health reasons. Um, uh, so we, you know, had some really fun conversations with them. Um, we, it was also, I should point out that all this was like, in a, there was a really beautiful entertainment, incredible art and uh, just a beautiful atmosphere overall. But the thing I remember most were the hors d'oeuvres <laughs> because they were incredible. Uh, they had this amazing ceviche. Um, they had just the food in Colombia in general is is incredibly good. And these hors d'oeuvres were even better. So that's just, you know, kind of some fat girl humor. Gotta tell you, really great food. Um, so... It, sounds, it all sounds uh, incredible. It, yeah, yeah, it really, it really was. What was not incredible, however, were the limited number of bathrooms. Mm. Um, there's, I mean, there's a line for bat for women's bathrooms here, you know, in the United States for you know any event that you go to. The men's bathroom is great. The women's bathroom, huge line. Um, so these bathrooms were not. Um, were not once you got into the residence of course the bathrooms are not gendered they're single you know single seated mm. regular restrooms and the line was unbelievable to any one of them um so that that was not much fun so those are the, <laughs> the two yeah. things that stay in my mind the line for the bathroom and the incredible hors d'oeuvres so um yeah we were we were there for a couple of hours uh maybe like an hour and a half ish and then um the vice president arrived um, and she arrived just as we were going to be leaving. So we were out in like the grand hall that you walk, you first walk into. Um, and we saw the doors, which had been previously propped open, 
were closed, like right in front of us. And we were asked to stay where we were um, near the doors. So uh, my partner and myself, we, we just kind of stood there and we're like, well, something big must be happening. Right. Um, and then the doors opened and that was Francia Marquez came through <laughs> and, um, and with, you know, her, her small entourage and she shook our hands. Um, and it was, it was really incredible. She looked utterly exhausted. Um, but it was just incredible to, to meet her, um, and to see her. She's really stunning also. Um, and, but wow, she looked incredibly weary. Um, sounds like a long day for everybody. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we, uh, after that, we we made our way to a main thoroughfare where we could get an Uber. So through many multiple checkpoints mm-hmm. um, to where we could get an Uber. Um, and I have to say, there's another thing about uh, Colombia that I learned and was completely unaware of and a little shocked by, which was that um, the number of very very young police officers they looked like teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, and both male and female, a tremendous number of them, no matter where you went. And I was really shocked by, uh, it, it was, a, it was disturbing to see like this many very young people with guns. Right. Um, and you know, was, was told that it was, um, a result of having such, uh, so few jobs, right. uh, for, for young people in the country and just hiring so hiring them like out of school uh, to, you know, onto the police force and that really thinking about, um, I really thinking about people in the United States and thinking about like um, the idea of giving young adults um, that we believe like psychologically haven't come into their full adult brains yet, mm. um, um, guns right. and and badges and, and saying like you and giving them that sort of power. Um, I, I was really kind of stunned by that. I mean, look and, at the U S military, right? I mean, exactly. all those people are being, you know, prepared to carry guns and do all that stuff long before they even turn 18, the recruiters are meeting with them and everything. So yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Very Absolutely. Similar. Yeah. I, so yeah, I was really, and there's something about, even with the U.S. military, about policing your own people. Oh, yeah. Um, that's just, I mean, it's something that they're, they're we, I'd like them to be more careful with it um, after what's happened in, in Minneapolis with the militarization and so on. Right. Um, but something that even the military is very aware of. Right. Like, that there's, um, that's not something you want to happen. That's true. Um, so it's just, yeah, I... I was just really, really surprised and really interested to know how that was working out. Right. Um, and I um, was shown uh, by one of the uh, uh, one of the lovely people I met in the delegation who was from Colombia, who had been exiled and had come back, and he had been he when he was exiled went to the United States, um, the southern states, mm. and he um, was a professor there. And he showed me a video um, of a an incident that had happened shortly before we arrived, mm. where the police had arrested a black male and had knelt on his head, mm. and 
he said, um, he just like, he handed me the, his phone so that I could look at the video. And then afterwards he just said, George Floyd. And I said, yeah, <laughs> I'll just, there is no more to say about that. Seeing that video was so triggering um, right. and just, and it helped me really understand why, um, why people were so interested in talking about the, right. you know, the uprising and so interested in talking about George Floyd, aside from the fact that Keith was there. So it just, you know, kind of makes sense. Right. I was going to bring that up actually, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. the George Floyd, like how did, you know, people found out you were from Minnesota. How did that discussion come about or what was the first thing? Was that the first time somebody had brought that up or what was the, how did, how did, uh, how did they bring it up or what was their, um, perspective on the events right that is that is a really great question so um so often when people who are not from minnesota uh, and not from uh the united states talk uh, when i talk to them and you know they bring up george floyd it's um it's with a bit of like finality mm. and with um then they're talking about you know, this, the uprising, you know, it happened and now things are somewhat resolved because of the trials and so on, you know, there's right. like a resolution right. to them. Like now that's over kind of uh, thing. But when we were in Colombia and we were at the um, party for the exiled um, activists and people brought up George Floyd, it was with this sense of, um, understanding it was with um, we share your pain was how it felt but we it was an understanding that like I couldn't put into words it just felt like they were they are also in the thick of of a kind of revolution mm. and a kind of reckoning with race um, and policing and um and they're not, um, they haven't moved forward with it uh, to the extent that we have. And don't get me wrong, we haven't gone that far. Right. Um, but, um, we, but we are well into the conversation stage. Right. And as it was explained to me, um, that even having the conversations is a very difficult thing to do in Colombia right now. Um, because there are so very many black people in Colombia, a surprising number to me. I had absolutely no idea mm. that there were so many black people there. And obviously it makes sense when you look at like slave routes, and, right. uh, enslaved people and where they were sent. Um, but that there is, I was not at all prepared. And when I spoke to some of them about some uh, of the black, um, I met some professors, uh, well, at the inauguration, um, when I spoke to some of them um, and they they brought up um, how they had been trying to have conversations amongst their faculty or conversations in their company about um, what they felt were unfair practices um, against uh, darker skinned persons, mm. they were they were told that everyone is the same, um, that the history of uh, African-American individuals is so deep that blood had been mixed and that most everyone 
was had some African ancestry that they could point to over the last two, three hundred years. And that that, in fact, meant that they were all the same and mm. therefore all treated the same. Um, and that so that that was the kind of thing that they were up against and how difficult it was to have a conversation about the reality of of black people being treated differently, being treated unfairly, being treated worse um, than lighter skinned individuals, mm. counterparts or co-workers. Um, so I, that it was, um, I, I understood and really could only compare it to, um, president Obama being elected mm -hmm. and hearing people say things like you have a black president now, what more do you want? Right. Clearly racism is over kind of situation. Um, so we were able to kind of talk about that and, uh, make that comparison and really just hear them out about what they were going through and how difficult it was to have a conversation leading up to or near reparations. Right. Yeah, this is all really, this is really important stuff and I'm glad you're able to share all this. I mean, I didn't know a lot of the stuff that had, uh, that had happened and I didn't know all the details. Um, you know, I, if there's other stuff you want to share, that'd be great. The other kind of the one remaining thing I really wanted to touch on is kind of going the other way. Like now that you've come back to Minnesota, um, you know, is there, are there lessons that you brought with you or like kind of feelings or, 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 or thoughts that you've brought with you that you want to kind of, um, you know, make part of your work here in the United States? Um, do, do you think there's something you brought with you or are you still processing that stuff? Yeah, that is a great question. There's a lot to process. And I know um, I'm really still working through some of my thoughts and feelings, but being able to have this conversation with you and being able to like express what it was like to be there has is really helpful. It's really meant a lot to me. Um, at Take Action, um, I, I will be giving um, a kind of a little uh, presentation to my coworkers and the staff there with, with pictures and so on, kind of talking about the event. Um, because a lot of, uh, my friends and coworkers there are very interested, um, in, in the experience and, and, right. and learning more about what happened. So this is a really good practice for that. Right. Um, and also, um, we are, we are planning a 100 days, um, uh, event, uh, at uh, at um, SEIU Local 26. Okay. Um, uh, so we are uh, really excited about that. It looks like uh, the tentative date is November 15th um, to celebrate uh, the 100 days and to talk about the experience um, of being there with us and, and myself and, uh, you know, several of the other uh, people that came with us that were some of whom were from that local. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we, we met for the first so planning meeting. So 100 days meeting. since Petro took office? Yes, okay. yes. Um, we met for the first planning meeting on Friday um, and really just reliving everything and seeing everyone and how, how we are all still really processing what it was like to be there. Some of us are actually planning to go back um, in the next uh, two, three months. Wow. 
um, just because the experience meant so much and we felt like there was so much more to see and do there and understand. Um, so there's, uh, yeah, I, we all seem to really be wrestling with and processing the, that country and the history. Um, when we, the rest of the time that we spent after the inauguration, we spent another day in Bogota uh, and then we flew to Cali um, and we, um, you know, stayed with friends and, and did some, some sightseeing. They showed us, you know, all over Cali. And so, um, you know, they are activists as well um, mm-hmm. and talked us through so much of the history of Cali uh, and of, of Colombia in general um, and got to see so many of the monuments and um, that are monuments to activists that are, you know, monuments to people who've passed, who were part of movements and part of civil wars um, and, you know, going and seeing where, um, where the, the FARC had um, kidnapped um, politicians. I want to say it was 13 politicians mm. um, and, you know, the, the monuments that to them um, and the memorials to them. And, you know, it, it was incredible. I mean, it was a couple decades ago. It was incredible yeah. um, to see all of that and so much pain and, um, so much violence and right. so much, uh, you know, so many ghosts walking around. Mm. Um, Long history. Right, right. It was. I mean, the U.S. has a relatively short history. Right. In the grand scheme exactly. of things. Uh, exactly. And so, you know, a lot, at least, at least it has a relatively short uh, history that we learn about anyway, let's say. Um, <laughs> exactly. And so a lot of those ghosts are. Hidden. I think, you know, I think internationalism is the key, you know, to building a better world that we want to see that, you know, like you said, realizing that we're all working on similar, if not the same uh, issues, um, you know, and that there's a global, there's a global group of people that don't want us to unite together <laughs> and find ways to, to build a better world. And, you know, knowing you need to go back and learn more. I mean, that's a lesson in itself, uh, you know, that there's a lot more, uh, information to get and a lot more to process. Is there anything else you want to share about the trip or about anything else that uh, you're doing here in Minnesota? That's a really good question. I, you know, I don't, uh, I can't think of anything right now. I but will say. You said a lot, uh, so that's fair. We, 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 <laughs> we, we condensed it down, you know, but I mean, a trip of uh, that many days with that many big events, it's a lot. Right. Yes, it is. Thank you for that. <laughs> that makes yeah. me feel a bit better. Oh, no. um, they, uh, I will say, though, that I did find a renewed um, spirit uh, as it relates to to my own activism mm. um, here in, in Minnesota and the importance of um, really thinking about our democracy and how we define it um, and how elitist it is and how um, how it's more theoretical and more academic um, than it is reality Um, and when I came back I thought um, I thought the way that we think about democracy is elections Mm -hmm. and, and and candidates and the way we should think about 
democracy is what do individuals need in order to participate in it? Like what the foundation of our democracy, what we should be talking about are basic needs. We should be talking about how if you don't have food, you're probably not going to vote. If you don't have a house, you're probably not going to vote. You know, if you don't, if you're sick, if you're hungry, you know, if you're in survival mode, the last thing you're thinking about is like your civic duty. Right. Or um, participating in other ways, right? Even right. beyond voting. Let alone, I mean, voting is just one, you know, one moment you go into a place, exactly. but there's a lot of other things that a person can do to participate if they have the option. Absolutely. Absolutely. That any, anything in your community, just meeting your neighbors, mm-hmm. anything that makes a, a democracy work function. Participating happen. in your unions or, particip- right. or starting a union, for example. Right. A town hall meeting, a community, um, going into your, you know, your community or your association. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, any of these things, just the ability to, the freeness, you know, of, of mind, of spirit. Right of energy to go and do that. Um, and, uh, just thinking of, of basic needs as more than, you know, a clean environment, a safe environment, um, a house, water, thinking about it as, um, what do you need to thrive? Mm. And saying that whatever that is, if it's respect, you know, if it's, if it's autonomy, whatever it is that you need to be a thriving individual, that is a basic need. Mm-hmm. And that basic needs are the foundation of our democracy, and that is exactly how we should be talking about it. And I think coming back from, I think that being in Colombia really cemented that for me, and it will uh, it will cement my work going forward. Well, I think that's a great place to end. I think, yeah, uh, reimagining what democracy should be, I think, is something that uh, globally a lot of people are thinking about, or I really hope they are. I know some are. And uh, I really appreciate you speaking with me about the uh, trip to Colombia and all of the amazing events that uh, you experienced there. Thank you so much for asking me to do this. This is wonderful fun. I appreciate you. Thank you. And good luck with your presentation to the uh, uh, folks at work. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's our special interview. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow us on SoundCloud for weekly podcasts and on Facebook for daily updates. Solidarity. This has been a Socialist News and Views special interview.